Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Andrew Russell. Welcome again to Word of Truth. My name is uh, Andrew Russell, and I'm the pastor of the Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Sydney, Australia. And wherever you may be uh, watching this uh, segment as we record it, I just want to thank you for joining me uh, this evening. Now, tonight I just want to talk to you about the presence of God, the presence of God uh, in this world. Uh, many people struggle to believe in God simply because they do not see Him and uh, wonder then why would you believe and how could you believe in God just because you cannot see Him. I want to talk about the presence of God and how we relate to a living God. But I want to share with you something Jesus said. Jesus said, and one of His disciples, John, wrote this. He said of the, of the presence of God, which we refer to as the Holy Spirit of God, He says, the world doesn't know Him because it cannot see Him, but you know Him because He's with you and he's in you. Jesus said to his disciples, the world doesn't know him because it cannot see him, but you know him because he's with you and he's in you. Now, this is a supernatural um, uh, you know, event to, for a person to come to the knowledge of the presence of God in the life with, with, with no doubt, but absolute, absolute conviction that the presence of God is actually with them. And I want to share with you how that began for me uh, as a young boy in Cape Town, South Africa. You know, growing up in Cape Town, South Africa during the 70s and early 80s was a time of great challenge because of the, the racist apartheid regime of the time. And so because there was racism and people were classed um, into groups based on the color of their skin. I was in the, in the colored class. I, I wasn't African, I wasn't white, so, um, but the, I was classed in the colored. And anyone who had kind of brown skin like me were classed in the colored class. Uh, if you were white, you were in the white class. If you were black, you were classed in the black class. If you were Native African, you were in the black class of people. And so there was this system of governance that was racist. And I've mentioned this in my, one of my previous presentations. But because of that, because of the oppression that the people experience, having no real freedom to have a good education, um, you know, if you were of a, a colour other than white, you, you didn't have the job opportunities that the whites did. You didn't have the, the great education, access to the great schools like the whites did. And so people rebelled against this. They experienced this oppression. The, many were plunged into poverty, and so they reacted to this. But with this reaction um, against this white supremacist government came a lot of crime. Of course, people were poor. They would steal. There was a lot of breaking and entering. And this was the environment I grew up in. And there was a lot of gang violence as well. Now, imagine growing up in that environment. I've seen things that a young boy shouldn't see. I've seen people with, uh, you know, being in gang fights with axe cuts across their face and across their body. I've seen people being chased with machetes, um, you know, with the, the person pursuing them, intending to, to kill them, and they're running for their life. I've seen all kinds of things. I've been caught in riots as well, and I experienced the boycotts that took place during that time. But there was one thing that I, um, I remember, and that was my grandmother, being a devout Christian woman, 
she would say to us, myself and my sister and uh, my young cousin, Hilary, who lived with us, and my sister, Alison, she would say to us uh, every day, pray and ask God for protection. Pray and ask God to keep you safe. Now, when you're living in that kind of environment in South Africa, then those prayers have real meaning. Are you with me? You know, there's an old saying that says there's no atheists on a sinking ship. When the ship's going down and there's no other hope, well, then people will reach out by faith, you know, hoping that there is a God who is able to come to their aid. Well, those prayers took on real meaning for me in South Africa. I had to have eyes in the back of my head, as they say, on my way to school and back, always being mindful of, you know, perhaps those kind of individuals that may be lurking, that may rob you, uh, that may be uh, gang members, uh, that kind of thing. And that's, that's how I grew up. And so I would pray and would ask God, please keep me safe. And I remember one day um, coming home from school, uh, a friend of mine had apparently, you know, had an altercation with another young boy. Uh, this friend of mine, he was older than me. He was, uh, he was about 15, 16. And uh, so at school, he was saying that, uh, that there were some people that were after him from what he's heard. And they may be, uh, they may be waiting for him after school. And, and so myself and a couple of my other friends being good friends of his, his name was Chachi. We said, don't worry, Chachi, we're going to come and we're going to, we're going to stand with you. If there's anyone that's coming after you, don't worry, we will stand with you and, and we will fight them together. And uh, that was my mindset as a 12-year-old, okay, at the time. And so I remember walking home with Chachi and when we came to the soccer fields, well, all of a sudden when we looked up, we saw about 15, uh, 15 young men all lined up uh, along the fence waiting for Chachi. Now, they were just not ordinary men. They belonged to a youth gang. And so that meant that they had knives and they definitely would have some kind of weapon with them. And we were just, just four. There was just four of us. And so as, as we came closer, I realized that I had really gotten myself into a very, very bad situation. And uh, we all had, and perhaps even a life-threatening situation at 12 years old. Well, I remember walking up and they blocked the path that we had to, we had to go through to, um, to leave the field. And, and uh, then the leader stepped forward and he began to speak to my friend Chachi and, and uh, accuse him of doing things that he was told that he did. And he came to sort the business out, if you know what I mean. He uh, came to exact revenge on behalf of this friend of theirs. The funny thing is is that as I look closer at the leader of this gang, I realized that he was someone that I had seen around my neighborhood. In fact, I believe that he may have been the son of a man that had often knocked on my door. This man knew my father. My father had grown up in the neighborhood. And this man would often knock on our door and try to sell stolen equipment, stolen car radios and so forth. He would come. My father would never buy of him, but always just respect, respected him and treated him well. And I believe that this, this youth gang leader was the son of that man. And while he, was, um, while he was attacking my friend Chachi verbally and was threatening him with, uh, with the physical violence that would soon follow, he just happened to look to his, um, to his, um, to his side and he saw me and he saw me looking on. And he recognized me. I could see his mind tick over and he registered. It registered that he had seen me before. And then he realized in that moment that I was from his neighborhood 
and, uh, and if my summation was correct, that I was the son of a man that his father had known. And with that, he began to backpedal. And uh, in the end, he just gave a, a, a threat to my friend Chachi, and he just told us to get out of there. Well, we couldn't believe it, my, especially the friends I was with, Chachi couldn't believe it. He said, I can't believe they let us go. And, uh, you know, in my mind, I thought, wow, you know, I don't, you guys don't realize, but I believe he let us go because he has seen me and perhaps he didn't want any other trouble to follow on from this, either from his father or my father. Um, and so he chose to let us go. But I remember praying that night and thinking, wow, God, I believe you answered my prayer. I mean, what was the chances of that gang leader being someone from my neighborhood who just lives up the road and we have both crossed each other's paths, even though we didn't know each other? And so for that for me was, uh, that for me was like a kind of sign that God perhaps was present. I had another incident uh, very similar to that. Again, I would say my prayers, God, please keep us safe. And uh, one day after school, I had two teenage boys who came to rob me and my friend. Uh, one held a, th a knife at the throat of my friend. Another one pulled a makeshift gun out and pointed it at me. Well, we were just school kids. We didn't have anything. We just said, look, you can have our school bags. You know, we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything of value. But I remember when this was taking place and I was wondering if someone was around to help us. This was in broad daylight, by the way. And I just happened to turn around and lo and behold, for some reason, my mother was walking along the main road just above the grass area where we were standing. And in the middle of the day, now she would normally be at work. She wouldn't come home until the evening. But for some reason, she was walking along. And at that very moment that I turned around, she looked down and she saw me. And I kind of just motioned to her gently. And she came down with a fury once she realized what was happening. Anyway, those two young men, they took off and ran away. And little things like that made me realize perhaps God is present. In fact, perhaps there is an unseen hand that is at work. And uh, that helped me to develop a theory, if you like, at a young age. I believed not in chance or luck, but I chose to believe that everything happens for a reason. And I believe that God was there. I had seen an answer to prayer now on, uh, on, on a couple of occasions. And this continued into my teenage years as well. So uh, I, just, I just encourage you, you know, there is a thing called faith. Uh, you may not see God. You may not know him. But we are encouraged to reach out by faith. And if we reach out by faith, God will make himself known. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 in the Bible, it says that um, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, it's no point to say, well, you know, if God is there, you know, why doesn't he just, you know, send the lightning bolt or, or, or make himself known, you know? And that's kind of what, how we think sometimes. But friends, God encourages us to reach out to him by faith, and so he will manifest himself. And just as Jesus said, 
Though he be invisible, the world may not know him, but you can know him because he will manifest himself to you. He will be with you and he will be in you. Isn't that encouraging, friends, that there is a living God that is there? There's a reason why God doesn't manifest himself face to face at the moment. But the Bible tells us there was a time when he used to do that. In the book of Genesis, he used to come walking in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, and in the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve could walk and talk to him face to face. But since sin has come into the world, um, no man can stand in the full presence of God face to face while we have this problem of sin. And God desires to remedy the, 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 the suffering and the pain and the destructive forces that, uh, that sin bring with it into, into our lives and the lives of those around us. I want to talk now a little bit about the relationship that God desires to have with you um, as he desires to have with me. And we get an account of this in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus chapter 19, it's known as the Old Covenant, okay? Uh, if you speak to a Christian pastor, or he'll usually talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in the Bible. Um, both are at play, and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are at play from the time, uh, the very beginning, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the very end of time, and right up until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, we have this knowledge of the Old and New Covenant. Now, you may not understand that at the moment, but I'm going to help you to explain it, because this is the basis upon which God desires to relate to us and we relate to Him. In other words, He desires to, uh, us to understand how a relationship works with the living God. And so the Bible tells us that God spoke to individuals. He began to give personal revelations. One of those individuals was a man by the name of Abraham. And he said, Abraham, uh, out of you, Abraham, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring. And, uh, and all the nations of the earth is, are going to be blessed through your seed. Now that seed was Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, the apostle tells us in that in Galatians 3.15, that when God spoke of blessing through Abraham's seed, he was speaking about the promise of a Messiah, the promise of a Savior, the promise of the Son of God, long before Jesus arrived on the scene. And then he also spoke to a man by the name of Moses. And God spoke to Moses and chose him as his servant. But through him, he fulfilled the promise made to Abraham. He would choose Abraham's offspring as his people. That is the children of Israel. Now, he didn't choose them to be exclusive. He chose them as a means of dispensing the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his love, the knowledge of his grace, the knowledge of his truth through this nation, the children of Israel, to the whole world. Isn't it amazing that I'm a Christian and I hold in my hands here what we fondly know as the Old Testament? These writings are the ancient writings of the Jewish people. And yet I have come to believe in it myself, as have many Christians. And that's because it contains the knowledge of God's love and God's grace. And not just any God, friends, I'm talking about the living God, the invisible God, the one that cannot be fashioned with man's hands or by man's own ideas. No, um, the one that's chosen to give us a revelation of himself through the word of truth. And I want you to see how God spoke to the children of Israel here and Moses here. And this is now the old covenant. Okay, let me give an understanding here. And so I'm reading from Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 down to, um, down to verse 8. And God speaks to the children of Israel here after they had spent 400 years as slaves in, in Egypt. Okay, so this is a historical record of a people who were once slaves in Egypt and God brought them out 
of that slavery. And this is what he says here. In verse 4, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people, notice here, it says, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. You see, this is what's known as the Old Covenant. God said, uh, look, I've chosen these people. I've brought them out of Egypt. Now, therefore, Moses tell them that if they obey my voice, I will be to them a God and they will be to me a special people, a peculiar treasure. It's kind of like that diamond in the rough, you know, that, that, that diamond that, that's worth more than any other diamond, a peculiar treasure. And they'll be to me a kingdom, God said, and I'll be to them a God. And so God invited them to obey his voice. But now, what does that obedience look like? And that's what we want to try and understand. And so in the very next chapter, we read in chapter 20 that God began to um, give them the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Laws. This is God's holy law. These, these laws are the foundation of God's spiritual kingdom. They govern the universe. They govern this world and the other worlds of His creation. And so we read here in chapter 20, verse 3, commandment number 1 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number 2 says, You shall not make unto you any graven images, and so forth. And it goes on, You shall not steal, and you shall not commit adultery. Um, you shall honor your father and your mother. Uh, you shall not covet the things that belong to your, your neighbor, not his wife, not his goods. Uh, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not falsely accuse anyone. And God gives these commandments and he says, do not take my name in vain. My name is holy. Do not take it in vain. I will not hold those uh, guiltless who take my name in vain. And he gives all these commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and so forth. Okay, that's the first thing he does. And this is God's, what we call, moral law. And I spoke about this in the previous episode. God's moral law. This is his moral compass for helping us to know what's right and wrong. And then if we read on, we get to chapter 21, it then says that God gave them judgments or civil laws. And so, for example, it says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. Uh, and he goes on and he gives a whole heap of judgments here. Um, he says, if you buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve. But in the seventh year, he shall go out for free for nothing. Okay, this is not a, a servant in the sense of slavery as someone that's bound and, and used and abused. Uh, this is a servant in the sense that uh, sometimes they're in the culture of the time. Perhaps a family owed a great debt. Um, well, they could pay that debt by working as a servant for another family. But God said, it's not an indefinite thing. Even if the debt is not fully paid, uh, they're only allowed to serve six years and after that they're to go free. And God revealed his justice here. And there were many of these civil laws um, that applied. Uh, and then following that, if we read in um, chapter 23, we also find that God gave sacrificial or ceremonial laws. For example, um, God said in chapter 23, verse 18, You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. And God was talking about sacrificial laws here, yeah, laws of animal sacrifice. 
Now, I want to say, friends, God didn't desire the, the, the sacrificing of, of innocent animals. In fact, the book of Psalms says that. If you read Psalms chapter 40, uh, read from verse 6 to 8, it says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But God was helping the people to understand that one day he would make a sacrifice far greater than any animal sacrifice. He would make a sacrifice with the life of his divine son, Jesus Christ. And that sacrifice would be for the sins of the world because the wages of sin is death, but Christ would lay down his life for you, friend, and for me, that we may take up a new life and a new relationship with God and no longer break his commandments, but that we may come into harmony with commandments. Is that understandable? And so here we have ceremonial laws. And, and these are some of the things that they had to do. Now, you know, when you make a covenant, it's usually, you know, there's usually a two, there's usually more than one person involved in a covenant, okay, or an agreement. And so now God begins to say, the things that he will do as part of his, uh, keeping his side of the covenant. And uh, so in verse chapter 23, in verse 20, he says, Behold, I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And so God promises that this angel will keep them in the way. He will bring them into a place that he has prepared for them. And not only that, this angel will forgive their sin. Now, the word angel means messenger. It doesn't necessarily mean a created being. It means messenger. And I want to let you know that the messenger here of this covenant is none other than Christ himself before he came as a man on earth. He was a divine messenger sent to lead the children of Israel because only God can forgive sin. This messenger, this angel, would forgive their sin, pardon their transgressions, it says, and he would also keep them in the way. Remember Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you see the parallel? And it says he would bring them into a place prepared for them. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, he said... Um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But now I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be also. And so we have this parallel between the characteristics of this divine messenger here and Christ when he comes in human flesh and, uh, and says much of the same thing. You see, there's only one mediator, the Bible tells us, between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. God has appointed him to mediate on your behalf so that we may know our prayers are heard because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and God loves to answer our prayers, friends. And so God goes on to say that this angel, he'll go before them, he'll drive out their enemies, anyone who will come against them, he'll drive them out. And uh, he will be a protector to them and uh, he will keep them safe. And he'll lead them into the place that's prepared for them, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, friends, this is the covenant relationship that God makes. And notice it says, if you obey my voice, that's what God said, if you obey my voice, you will be to me a special people. So what was the requirements of Israel in order for them to have this angel, in order for them to have their sin forgiven, in order for them to be led into a place prepared, uh, in order for them to be kept in the way, and in, in order for them to be protected from the enemies? 
The condition was obedience, isn't that right? And that's why it's called a covenant of works, because it's based on obedience. But what many don't realize, friends, is that this was founded upon another covenant. And this covenant is called a covenant of grace, also known as the new covenant in the Bible. And we pick up on it um, here symbolically when we reread Exodus chapter 19. And notice this here. Notice in Exodus chapter 19. In verse 4, God said, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Remember that I said they were Egyptian slavery? And how I brought them, I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Notice the next two words. Now therefore. Now therefore. In other words, God is saying, Moses, speak to the children of Israel. Let them know that, that I've brought them out of slavery. I've delivered them, and I've brought them to myself. Now, therefore, in other words, because of what I have done, tell them to obey my voice and I will be to them a God. Can you see that? You see, my friends, that, that uh, the reason for God bringing them out is, is clearly um, expounded to us in the book of Hosea. And I want to share with you this text. What, what, was, the, what was God really saying when he said here, um, now, now, therefore, you have seen what I've did to the Egyptians and I've brought you unto myself. We find this in the book of Hosea and it's found in Hosea chapter, uh, chapter 11 and it's found in verse 1. Notice it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. You see what God is saying, Moses, tell the children of Israel, I loved my children. I loved Israel and I brought them out because I love them. Isn't that amazing? We have a God that expresses his love personally and intimately for people. He expresses that for you. He says, I love you and I want to bring you out of that bondage. You see, the bondage of Egypt represents the bondage of sin, friends. It's a, and, and, and the world over is enslaved by sin. That's why, that's why, you know, the alcoholic, you know, he, he, when he's drinking, he, he feels great and he, he thinks he's having a good time. But the moment there's no more alcohol, he realizes that he's actually a slave. See that? Because now he cannot function without it. So he's actually enslaved to the bottle, as sometimes we say. The same with the drug addict. You know, when, he, when, he's, when he's smoking marijuana, he's doing these things, he's, he's, he's having a good time, he's laughing and so forth. And many young people are living that lifestyle, my friends. And I lived that lifestyle myself once upon a time. And I thought I was having a good time. But, but as the days and months and years went on, friends, I found myself a slave to, uh, to addiction. And I couldn't stop doing those things. I would stop and start, stop and start. And so sin brings with it enslavement, just like pornography often leads to adultery and, and, uh, and sex addiction and, and people become enslaved and so that it destroys their homes, destroys their marriages, destroys their health. Even appetite is, is another way that the devil seeks to enslave us, friends. You know, uh, obesity is often the result of, um, of intemperance and uncontrolled appetite and, and Satan has enslaved us in, in so many ways, even, even the lust for violence and the violent movies we watch. It's enslavement, friends. God created us to be a people of peace, a people of love, a people of integrity, a people of honesty, a people that would keep His commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not do those things, friends, because 
the way of sin brings suffering, pain. And at the very end of it all, in the final analysis, in the final judgment that God will have friends, in the final analysis, the end of sin is death. But God loves you and me, friends. And so he sent his son, Jesus. He sent us to set us free from sin. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the disciple of Jesus, Matthew, he writes of the account of when the angel spoke to, to, the, to um, Joseph, who was to marry Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he said, said to Joseph, when this boy is born, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That name Jesus comes from the Hebrew term, word, a name, sorry, Yeshua. It means savior. It means God who saves and so, my friends, Jesus was sent to save us from the bondage of sin. And how does he do it? How does he do it? Well, he knows that when you stand before God, when you stand before our holy and loving and righteous God, in whom there is no sin, friends, he knows that when we get a sense of God's presence, when we get a sense of God's voice speaking to us, as he speaks to us through his word, we get a sense really of how how short we have fallen of love, how sinful we truly are. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God. My friends, if we're enslaved to sin, if you're enslaved to sin, where do you go? Do you go to a self-help course that maybe will try to help you to do better? Do you go get counseling to try and help you to think better? My friends, or do you come to the living God who laid down the life of his son and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Lord, forgive me a sinner. And God, what he'll do is he says, I want to let you know something. Now I've taken all your sin and I've credited that to my son. When he died on Calvary, when he hung on that cross, he died because of your sins. He took your sins upon himself. And I want you to know that. Even Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They do not see the result of their sins. They do not see what it cost, not them, but what it cost God in order to save them. You see, God needed to be just, and he met the wages for sin with the sacrifice of his son, friends, and he did that for you and for me. Why? Because he loves you. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and I brought my son out of Egypt. And when you come to God in mercy, friends, he takes all those sins. He washes them away through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says he casts them into the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. And friends, in that moment, it's called justification in the Bible. You become a child of God, but you've got to receive it by faith. Amen. You've got to receive the blood of Jesus by faith, the cleansing blood of Jesus. He spilt his blood. He became your substitute, friends, because he loves you. Jesus laid down his life for you. And, 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 if, you, and if you accept Jesus, friends, as your savior, you are now set free from that bondage of sin because the Bible tells us no longer are we under the condemnation of the law. The law would bring death to the sinner. No longer are we un under the condemnation, but now we come under the grace of God. And that's God's favor. That's God's love. We come into the arms of God, friends. Isn't that good news? God's waiting with open arms to receive you through his son, Jesus. And when you come into the arms of God, my friends, he's now going to walk with you. You're going to experience that he's with you and that he's in you, just as Jesus talked about. And so Christ sets us free. Now that you come into the arms of God, friends, he bids you 
as he says in John chapter 14, verse 15. I know the verse. I don't even have to read it. One of my favorite verses. But in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says now, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see that? And so we have this same uh, expression of a relationship in the Old Testament with the children of Israel as we do here in the New Testament. They were set free, not of themselves from bondage, but because God was a deliverer and a savior to them. And when he brought them to himself because he loved them, he now calls them into a loving relationship of trust. And he says, now obey my voice. And Jesus does the same, friends. He says, I've set you free. My blood will wash you clean of the stain of sin. You, can, you don't need to worry about the things that you've done anymore. I will come in and let me start you on the new path and a new life. You can be a perfect husband, friends, or rather a faithful husband. You can be a, a faithful parent when you walk with Jesus. You can, be, you, can, you can experience a clean life when you walk with Jesus. Don't you want that? My friends, I did all the wrong things before. Now I experience a whole life with Jesus Christ. And he's with me and he's in me. And so he says, if you love me, Keep my commandments. And this is the relationship between the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. Grace is what God does for us through his son Jesus. And works is our response to God because he loved us. And when we love him in return, we say, Lord, I no longer want to fight against you. I no longer want to reject your commandments, Lord. No, Lord, I want to walk according to your will. I want your will to be done, Lord, on earth here in my life even as the angels do your will in heaven. And so, my friends, this is how we enjoy a, a fruitful relationship with God and we receive of the blessings of God. And I just want to appeal to you today. My friends, this is the relationship that's changed my life for the better. It's been a blessing to my home, blessing to my wife and my kids, blessing now to even the church that I pastor. And my friends, I know that God will bless you the same way. And so, my friends, won't you choose today to receive, firstly, the gift of God's grace through, your, through a loving Savior, Jesus Christ? Won't you seek his mercy and forgiveness? I'd like to invite you to say a prayer with me so that you can begin your new journey with God today. And following this journey, you're going to say, Lord, I love you now, and I want to keep your commandments. Lead me in the way everlasting. Let me say that prayer with you, friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there be some that would uh, be listening, Lord, to this message. Lord, it's come from your word, the word of truth. And you've revealed yourself to be a loving God, Lord, a world that has not left this world to its own devices, but you've come to clean up our mess, Lord. And you've come, Lord, to clean it up through the saving grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, you know those who are watching. You know the struggles they are having right now. You know the suffering, Lord. You know the mess, perhaps, even they have made, Lord. And sometimes time and time again, Lord, even like you knew my mess once upon a time. But, Father, you're showing up in their life right now. You are speaking to them, Lord. You are the voice of reason. You are the voice of reason to our conscience. And, Father, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy now, who seeks only to, to, to sow seeds of doubt, where you want to sow seeds of faith. And I pray, Father, Lord, as, as, they, as they join me in this prayer now, Lord, that you would, you would extend the knowledge of, of the sacrifice of your Son to them now. And Father, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would say with me now, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. 
Wash me clean, Lord, from the sins of the past and renew a right spirit within me and restore unto me, Lord, a new heart that I may walk with you and love you and trust you, Lord, all the days of my life. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you said that prayer with me with all your heart, you believe it. My friends, I just encourage you now. Don't wait. Begin your journey with God today. Get yourself a Bible if you don't have one. And, and, and get yourself to a Bible-believing church, friends. One that will continue to teach you in the knowledge and the way of Jesus Christ. May God bless you until we meet again. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park, SDA Church.
Casey Butler, and I'm here today to share with you some personal experiences that I've had with God. Have you ever heard of stories where people who have not grown up in a Christian environment come to the point in their life where they question, is God real? Is he out there? Does he care about me personally? I've heard a number of stories like that. People just get to the point where they feel a void in their life and they long for for something more they are convinced there must be something greater and so they they question is God real and they start seeking after God and many of them find him I've also heard of a number of stories too where people who have grown up in a Christian environment where they know all about God they've learned so much as of in their their childhood stories about Jesus and and many different experiences they also come to the point where they question, is God real? Does he care about me personally? I was one of those people. I grew up in a, a Christian environment and um, went to church every week for as long as I can remember. And I studied the Bible every day and prayed and 
did all of those devotional kind of things. And yet I came to the point in my life where I asked that very question. Is God real? Does he care about me personally? I wanted an experience that wasn't just head knowledge because I've grown up understanding and knowing so much about God and yet it just seemed like something was missing in my heart. I just felt something was was not right. I, I wanted to know that God was real, that his love for me was 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 personal and, and went right to my heart and I didn't have that. So I prayed. I began praying to God for a deeper experience. I, I prayed that he would that he would show me Jesus, that he would give me an appreciation of his love for me. And he answered my prayer in some interesting ways. One of the most significant situations that happened to me was I was unexpectedly, I guess, sort of thrown into a difficult circumstance and I couldn't control it. I had nothing that I could do in the situation to control it except for pray. And so immediately I began praying just in my head, in my thoughts, just asking God for very specific things to help me in that particular situation. And what was astonishing to me was right before my very eyes, God answered every detail of the prayer that I prayed in my mind. I hadn't spoken it out loud or anything. And I was just blown away. In fact, I I pondered that God had answered every detail like that right before my eyes, right in that instant of need for months. It just got right to my, my heart that who am I that God would even recognize every thought and go about answering it. And I knew that in order for him to answer those, the things that I'd asked for, he had to send angels from heaven um, and he had to just work in the circumstances I was in in a powerful way to be able to accomplish what I'd asked for just in the spur of the moment and in my need. So I I just for months was thinking, why me, Lord? (laughs) Why did you do that for me? Like, yeah that just that really did something in me but there was more that God did in my life like that was one experience but during this time where I was I was seeking to know if God's real I had some other experiences as well and one of them was I was out in the garden um, actually in uh, the orchard that is at our home and I was pondering Christ's sacrifice for me and I was really struggling to appreciate it. I could, like I knew it all in theory, but and I was thinking about it, but it just didn't seem like it. I appreciated it in my heart and I was trying hard to appreciate it. I was praying to God, wanting to, to understand what he, you know, what he'd done for me and, and have it mean something deeper. And as I walked, I was walking back up to the house and I, came across just in the particular path that I went at my feet was a red and black feather and as soon as I saw it I just I just picked it up quickly and I was just amazed immediately amazed because this feather 
was the tail feather of a glossy black cockatoo. It's a cockatoo that we have here in New South Wales uh, in Australia and it um, it's a sort of a threatened species. So to be able to find a feather from this this bird that was you know all black with a, a patch of red in it was just like so rare and um, I, I'm a bit of a bird watcher I like to see wild birds native birds and um, identify them and keep a list a record of all the different species that I've seen so I knew as soon as I saw this feather that it was something special and as soon as I saw it I it just it touched me I thought wow because in light of what I had just been thinking about, I had been thinking about Christ's sacrifice for me. And here, this feather, it was, you know, black with red. And to me, it was saying, God was saying to me, my, my blood, the blood of my sacrifice, symbolized by the red color of the feather, was on top of the black on the feather, which is like Christ's blood covers my blackness, the blackness of my sin and, and the evil in my heart. And that just the fact that God used the feather and that showed me that he knew my interests, he knew my passions, he knew what I loved and enjoyed about nature and life. The fact that he used that at that moment, that got deep in my heart too. And I realized that, wow, God knows me. He cares for me. He knows my struggles. He knows how I'm seeking him and what I'm wanting to know about him and how and how I'm wanting to know he is real so God responded um, in that way because when I was walking back up to the house I could have walked like two meters across from the actual direction that I took and I probably would have missed the feather altogether but the fact that I happened to walk directly in the path of where that feather was it was just amazing to me so that was another experience that oh, I pondered and, and treasured for a while because it, it really said something to me spiritually about God. And, you know, as I've had experiences like this and God has answered my prayers, He's helped me know that He is real, He has worked in real ways in my life that's just an experience that's meaningful between me and God, I have realized and began to appreciate deep in my heart that God is real and that he cares about me personally. And since I've had those experiences, my walk with God has been filled with a lot more peace because I've had an experience that was not just all head knowledge, it's gone right to my heart. And this has given me a lot more confidence in God. And it's interesting, you know, there are there are Bible writers also who've had similar experiences like this where they just realize how much God knows them and how real he is. And I want to read from Psalm 139 because this expresses this thought. This is a Psalm of David and he says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, 
and lay thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So here David is expressing this very thing that God, he knows all about him, what he's doing, where he is, and he cannot flee from God's presence. And this just shows how much God knows and cares for us individually, personally. He knows where we are. And I pray that wherever you are today, wherever you are in your connection with God, you may be seeking for a deeper experience with God. You may be seeking to know that he is real in your life. You may have grown up knowing God. You may have grown up not knowing anything about God, but you may be still in that position of wondering, is God real? So I am here to say that I have found in my life God is real. And I know that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him and he will make himself known to us. So it is my prayer for you today that God will work in your life and that you will know that he is real and that he loves you and cares for you personally. God bless you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.